Welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast. My name is Brent Davis and this is my podcast that I get to talk to coaches about coaching and I love doing it. So uh, really excited about today's guest again. So we've got an Australian golf professional on again, Steve Giuliano. Thanks for coming in, Steve, and talking to me. Thanks for having me, buddy. Good morning. It's um it's been too long between us having a conversation. I um I enjoy catching up with you and sharing your ideas. Um, you do a great job of what you do out there. So I'm keen to dive in today and see what we come up with. Good stuff. Let's uh, let's get cracking. So talk me through. You went through your traineeship around about the same time as I did. So you've been a, a PGA professional for twenty years, close to twenty years now. Yeah, spot on. I think my graduation was ninety nine. Yeah, so yeah. you're about the same time as me. Tell me about where you started in Australia. You were at Sanctuary Lakes first up. Is that kind of where you built up your coaching to start with? Yeah, I mean, even before that, I, I did my traineeship at Latrobe Golf Club. That was actually where I was a junior member, um, worked there, did my traineeship there, and uh, and started coaching there. That was kind of my first coaching job in, um, you know, shortly after my traineeship. I, actually, I was coaching during my traineeship, but um yeah certainly got into coaching a lot more uh whilst I was there and kind of at the same time I started working at Sanctuary Lakes as well at that academy so I was kind of kind of had two positions there and eventually transitioned all the way to Sanctuary Lakes where I worked with uh with Brett LeBrock and if you remember him um worked for with him at uh at his academy for about 10 years I was the first sort of 10 years out of my traineeship so how much of an influence did Brett have on your coaching? He's obviously fairly high profile at that stage and was yeah. setting up his own kind of coaching programs and academies, which is probably in Australia was at that stage was probably brand new. So Definitely. how much of an how much of an influence did he have on your coaching? Pretty big. I think for a number of different reasons. Um he was you know, he was definitely uh doing different things in the industry back then. You know, he wasn't that interested in one-to-one coaching, you know, on the whole. I mean, he certainly did it, but it was all about bigger programs, um, you know, having students travel in from, you know, other countries such as Asia to come and, you know, do long-term stays and full-time programs and things like that. And I, de- I definitely think he, he shook up a little bit of the industry. Um, I think I definitely think he made the PGA think a little bit more about, you know, their model, which ultimately was a good thing for the PGA. Um, but... There weren't too many pros at that time, at that age, that were traveling to the US, maybe none in Australia and working for a high profile academy like he was, you know, which was Rick Smith. And, you know, he had contacts with uh, Jim McLean and whatnot. So he was a big influence because I was able to go to the States, really just hang out with him and, and watch him coach. And we did lots of trips together early on where we'd go to Ledbetter's and, um, you know, I'd spent a month at a time at Rick Smith and we'd go down to Jim McLean's, which was around the corner and, and spend, you know, uh, a week or so there with coaches when I did those early trips to the US when I finished mine. So he, he just made me think a little bit more about, um, you know, if, if you want to grow and be as good a coach as you can, you should uh, spread your wings and try and learn from the best. And, you know, I felt I'd spent uh, a good amount of time with the top coaches in Australia. Um, you know, David Milne, Steve Band, Dale Lynch, whether that was watching him teach or it was just actually getting coached from them, uh, which was also great. And, you know, and Ross Herbert and these guys, um, um, it, it, it was sort of time to kind of, okay, what, what else is out there? And Brett sort of was uh, 
was a guy who was already doing that and was was super encouraging for me to come along and uh, you know and learn from him and the guys around him. It's um it's a common theme that coming up that the, the successful coaches now spent time with good coaches early on in their career, and mm. I think what you what you're saying there is you did spend time with with coaches and successful coaches, um, yeah. and you pick up so much from spending time with those. With those guys, I think it's um it's great that you that you spent that time with you. So tell me about spending time in the in the states. How was that? How exciting was that to spend time with those huge names in the coaching industry? Yeah, I mean it was. I mean even to this day, I mean those were really early days for me. Like literally just finished my traineeship and hopped on a plane three months later to spend a month in the US. Um, I mean. I can definitely still remember I went over with a really good buddy of mine, Grant Gibson, who you might remember. Um, yep. he's, he's in Hong Kong now. He's been there forever. And, you know, we were freezing. It was still kind of coming off the back of the winter. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd, step, we'd be on the range like freezing and I'd have my video camera. I filmed everything, you know, taking notes. You know, I remember taking notes on not just, you know, what they were doing but the words that they were saying of encouragement I mean, I had this whole page of like buzzwords and it was just, yeah, it was, it was the most rawest time for me because, you know, when you're starting out, everything is like, everything is gold, like everything is gospel. And, um, you know, that's what I remember most about those experiences. And interestingly, you know, years later, I mean, they, they did golf schools there that would go for, for three days and, and weeks. And so all that was, was so new. So it wasn't just, I mean, the experience of being over there for sure, but the way that they delivered to the student was a very different um, type of instruction to what I'd ever experienced in Australia. You know, the way that they were very hands-on, the way they analysed. Um, uh, they just did it, did it quite differently in the US. You know, there's, there's a lot more... Um, hype about what they do you know rick smith at the time although a lot of people listening to this probably wouldn't have heard of rick smith at the time he was actually you know he's in that top five list of coaches it was like haney and butch Harmon and ledbetter and mclean and rick smith and you know, he was working with um, mickelson and uh, lee jansen at the time who'd won two uh, u.s opens uh, around those kind of that, that, that um, mid-90s period i believe and, uh, you know, he'd, he'd fly up and work with Gary Nicholas and Jack was there with his son. So, yeah, there was a lot of really cool experiences that, you know, pretty priceless, you know, when you think about them. And I've, I've still got all the videos that I took back then and I still reference them even now, especially when I'm delivering short game stuff. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was really cool. It is, and I think those those high profile coaches, their stuff still stands up. They've they've obviously changed and um, improved over time, but their their, their content still stands up. But how how with those coaches in the in the US, um, how much of it is them selling their product as opposed to being yeah. the 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 best understand the best quality golf coach, so to speak? How much can they do? They just sell the product as opposed to being yeah. the best the best golf coach. It's a good question. You know, Rick definitely was was came across more in that in that light. Um, you know, and I, I can't speak for all the other coaches because I just haven't spent enough time with them. But I mean, certainly in the in the US, marketing is a big part of things, and it looks like they're always trying to uh, stand out. You know, from the next guy beside them, whether that's with you know a product or you know how they you know how they 
teach or whatever. There's, there's definitely that side of it. But I, d- I definitely found Rick to be a pretty hyped up guy. You know, he was a very uh, outgoing guy. But there was, there was uh, an older guy that worked for Rick named Henry Young. And, you know, I kind of, you know, over time, spending a lot more time at that, at that academy and watching him teach, he, he kind of, he was kind of the brains to me, you know, he had like all of the really deep knowledge. So if you're ever going to have a conversation, you'd sit down with Henry and he was like a godfather of, you know, he had lots of stories, very smart guy, you know, he could answer all your questions really thoroughly. Whereas Rick was a little bit more blase, you know, he was a little bit more about the hype and, um, you know that's that's just the way it was at that particular place but i can't can't comment too much about you know uh, other coaches but i think just in general that you know you see that as a little bit of a common theme i mean as as good as the coaches are there and i think as as we get deeper into like social media and you know a, a lot of these coaches are bringing out their content online through certifications you you figure out the guys that want that run really deep you know, just by the, their delivery and I guess what in, what content they're putting out there, and you also figure out the guys that might have a little bit more hype around what they do, and and maybe don't run as deep. And I'm not saying one is way better than the other. It's just you know you you choose who you want to learn from at the end of the day, and and, that, and who you think is going to help your your coaching, right? That makes sense. But um, I've always always thought as Australian golf coaches uh pretty well trained in yeah. the theory of golf swing and golf coaching. I think we're top of the tree when it comes to that that understanding of, of what golf swing actually is. But I don't think we sell ourselves very well as as golf sure. coaches in Australia. And I think that's a, that's a problem. And I think it's changing. I think people coming out now um, into full-time coaching roles have been proving that. But I think it's always been a problem over the years that we don't sell ourselves as Australian coaches very well. Agree. And... Um... Yeah, no, no, I would agree. I think the younger guys are doing a way better job because it's just, you know, it's 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 what they grew up with. You know, they're they're growing up with Facebook and Instagram and and all these apps where and and YouTube, and they kind of they're learning from these platforms and they realise that it's it, they better be out there putting content out there. Um, I'm I'm seeing uh, trainees that are just coming out of their apprenticeships now that weren't the best trainees for going through the system to put it. Uh, put sure. it nicely, but are doing great jobs on social media, and they're just they aren't afraid to put themselves in front of a camera um, and just put their their coaching information out there. And I think that's a that's a great thing. I don't if it's if it isn't perfect to start with, so be it. Just start getting it out there. It, it's a it's a it's a brave thing to do, but it's a cool thing to do. Yeah, that that old concept of just documenting what you do and. Um... And just putting yourself out there, I think you can actually learn as much from, you know, what you put out there that that you might look back in a few years and cringe at um, as opposed to trying to make something perfect that at the end of the day doesn't doesn't really exist, right? So, so much learning that can, going on, that can go on in just putting yourself out there all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, I would, I would much rather see a young coach keep putting themselves out there and, you know, I... You know, I'll, I'll flick on and have a look and, and switch off and go, okay, you know, I can see he's, you know, he's, he's trying to figure it out. And then in two or three years' time go, oh, shit, like he's really progressed because that's, I think that's the way that you do it. And I think people respect that. I think people respect the journey and, yep. and, and seeing it. 
Completely agree. And yeah. um, so getting getting onto that, putting yourself in front of a camera, you were, I think you were probably close to the first Australian golf coach I kind of saw putting themselves out there online and putting decent quality online content together, whether it was uh, YouTube videos or um, some sort of online eBooks and stuff. Talk me through that process of how you got to that conclusion that you should be starting to put your stuff out there. Yeah, it actually all came back to the first conversation we had, you know, my first mentor. You know, when I finished working uh, at that academy, you know, I left uh, and I was really kind of the 2IC there. I was in charge of a lot of the programs and and, um, and getting that, you know, kind of building that brand, if you like. And I left that academy, uh, you know, around 2010 or around that time and and I left there with really no equity in there. No, There's no brand equity. It wasn't my academy. And, and essentially, you know, I'd worked with some good players. I, I was teaching some good amateurs uh, that were on their way. Um, but essentially, you know, no one really knew who I was. I didn't have my own website. There was none of that. And I thought, well, you know, I made it like a mental switch in my mind. I said, okay, from this day, it doesn't matter who I work for, where I work, you know, whether I stay in Australia or maybe I go overseas, it's US or Asia, I said I should always have my own identity. So I kind of made that, again, made that mental switch all the way back then. And, and it was about that time I, I started my own website. I started blogging because blogging was cool back then, if you remember. I know now, come you used on, to I'm, blog. <laughs> I've, I've just started up again. I've, I've, yeah. I've just put a, a few more posts out there recently. Yeah, and I'm not a great writer, but I mean, I enjoyed that process of blogging back then, yeah, because it was all that we did. So it was so back then, started my own website, you know, just called it SG Golf Coaching um, because I, I thought of myself as a golf coach, and I you know I wanted to to kind of portray that um, that image out there, and um, you know I started doing some some articles for some newspapers because remember back then there was no Facebook was just maybe getting started, maybe just getting started. Um, but yeah, there was certainly none of what we have now. There was YouTube, so I, I did start doing some YouTube, and I sucked at that, um, and I still suck at it. Um, but um, but I found blogging was really helpful. You know that that actually got me some traction, and I, I made a concerted effort to blog every day. As we were kind of speaking off air, my my um, my uh, brother in law, he uh, he's a photographer and he's an IT guy, so you know he he take some photos for me. So yeah, my early foray into that would be you know some nice um, uh, nice photos that I'd use for magazine articles, which you know, I repurposed a lot over the years, and uh, and just blogging regularly, you know, on my website and and starting like Facebook and YouTube. I think I've I think I think I recall an I seek golf page that might have had your name on it. Ask absolutely, ask Steve coaching. So that was yeah. kind of the big golf forum here in Australia. Was I seek golf in? Um, yeah. I think you were you were on there doing some coaching as well. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, even now, I mean, I've I've started doing a little bit of uh, mentoring here. You know, so some some different coaches over the world. There's there's so much you can do before you try and you know maybe go big or think too big. It's so tough in not to digress too much from the topic, but it's so tough to to kind of put yourself out there in a in a YouTube and an Instagram world and, and kind of get these online students, which a lot of the, the coaches in, you know, all over the world have been trying to like push on, especially during this time. And, you know, the webinar that I did recently for the Australian PGA I talked about low-hanging fruit. 
I mean, there's so many forums and things like that you can kind of dip your toe into and students uh, are desperate and hungry for like free information. And, and at the end of the day, if you're not busy, you know, you should you should be on these forums. And that was one of the things all the way back then that I thought, well, you know, people are, people are, are asking questions, you know, whether it's a Golf WRX or it's, you know, an iSeq or in Malaysia or, or Singapore, there were forums when I first came over here and, and I just dive right into them. I mean, that that was where people were asking questions, and and there was no other there was no other platforms to put your information out there apart from perhaps your own website, you know, and a Facebook and a YouTube. And I, I thought they were really easy mediums to 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 get in contact with people. And great way to improve your skills, of course, as well. So absolutely, yeah. Spending spending your time putting content on those kind of sites, it's a great way to actually build your your content writing skills. So. Yeah. As part of building that brand in Australia, um, you were seen there for a while as being the putting guru. I think you got into Aimpoint quite early on yeah, in Australia. Absolutely. So talk yeah. me through how you how you came across Aimpoint and how you got started down that path. Yeah, so I, I started doing after I left um, the academy, or it might have been around the time, um, two thousand ten. I started doing trips to Asia, um, and, and part of that was, you know, I was. My, my brain was was thinking, okay, I'd, I'd like to have a go at, at Asia and look at a position there. And I thought the best thing is to start traveling there. And maybe for about two years, I was attending uh, conferences in Asia. Some of them were business conferences. Some of them were coaching conferences in Thailand and Malaysia and, and different parts. Um, I even presented at a conference over there uh, in Thailand. But in one of the management business management con- uh, conferences, I met uh, or heard Mark Sweeney present on Aimpoint. Just went up there. He, he talked about some hocus pocus Aimpoint, which was completely over my head. It was all very technical, and it was green mapping. And I was like, "Whoa!" But you know, obviously, as a golf coach, I'm, I'm interested. So I got his card, and um, you know, contacted him, and and, and I said, and it, actually, the the catalyst. You know, we we hear this a lot. You know, when you've got a problem you're trying to find a solution to the problem. The problem I had was I was working with a, a very uh, promising young amateur, uh, had maybe just turned pro named Stacey Keating, and she just sucked at green reading. And it was so frustrating to me because it was the best part of my game. And, and, and for the life of me as a young coach, I couldn't get her to see what I saw. I couldn't get her to feel you know, what I, what I felt and what I knew was going to work on the greens. Didn't, you know, all the drills and, and then, and then when, when I heard from Mark, I'm like, well, maybe this could help. You know, it's a different approach. So, you know, I jumped on a plane, flew to Orlando, you know, spent a couple of thousand uh, learning from Mark and Jamie at the time. I did that for two days, come away, and I thought, geez, like, I don't, I don't know if I'm any better. You know, it was, it was a lot of cool information, but I'd say slightly unusable. Um, but I applied some of what, you know, I'd learnt there um, to Stacey's caddy uh, at the time, who was her boyfriend there, became her husband, and uh, and it helped. Like, it helped a lot. And, you know, the cool thing with Aimpoint, it just kept evolving. It got easier. It got more simple. Um, you know, back when I was still in Australia, we were, we were still using a chart and we were using a, a, a read called a midpoint read, but that definitely helped. And, and so the actual reason why I did it was to help one student <coughs> That's the reason why I did it. And and ultimately, you know, when I did make the move to Asia, Aimpoint started evolving more. 
the express read came along and it really kind of exploded as, um, you know, in and of itself as something that um, became very like mainstream, if you like, you know, uh, across, you know, pros were wanting to learn it. And, you know, I had uh, all sorts of coaches wanting to get trained up um, at that point. So that was kind of a bit of how, how that uh, had evolved over maybe like a three-year window. I'm curious to touch on a point you made about halfway through there about teaching Stacey how to see what you saw as a as a putter. And I know if, if someone asked me how to read greens, I don't know how to coach it because right. I you just kind of see where the slope is as a player. You've evolved it over 20 years of playing golf. Yeah. Um, so when a student asks you how do you read greens, you just kind of go, well, you see the slope and you aim it up, up the slope <laughs> and away yeah. you go. So. It is a challenge, and it's probably why I, as a putting coach, haven't been a very strong putting coach throughout my career. Um, mm. I generally stick with full swing and short game and don't teach a whole sure. lot of putting, tend to send most other people. But as you said, with Aimpoint, it gives you a structure, and it was a very complicated system early on. And oh, yeah. I haven't had the pleasure yet of going through an Aimpoint Express class, but um, it just yeah. looks so much simpler for players now to, totally. to feel that slope and then to use the, the guide lines and off they go. Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, it just uh, I mean, from from that standpoint, it um, it became something very easy to teach, and it was it was something that you know I've been through the whole evolution of Aimpoint, being one of the first instructors, uh, probably probably the first handful of instructors in the world, but definitely the first instructor in Australia and and the first in Asia, and ultimately became. You know the head guy in Asia just because I've been around it for so long and spend so much time with uh, with Mark and Jamie. But yeah, it's a it's definitely now a very usable system. And you know, I had two two sisters I taught just gave them thirty minutes of it yesterday, and it's eleven and thirteen. You know, it's so you could teach it at any age, and um, it's very it's very uncomplicated now. In that no, respect, well, with the Aimpoint Express, didn't it come around? Come a it came about due to the fact that they were trying to teach Aimpoint to kids. Isn't that Absolutely. where it kind of came from? Yeah. So the original chart read, um, Mark was about to uh, board a plane to go to some part of the US and a coach said, um, you know, we've got a class with, you know, 10 kids. Uh, we can't use the chart. What are we going to do? And um, they came up with the idea that they could, they would just simply uh, stand behind the ball um, could the kid feel it to the left or to the right? They could. And they would just put a thumb up on either the right or left-hand side of the hole and aim just right or left of the thumb, like super simple. Stand behind the ball, slope goes, feels to the left. We put a thumb on the right side of the hole. We just putt to the right side. So that was the initial express read. And then, you know, one thumb became a finger relating to 1% and then two became two fingers and three became three. And with a lot of refinement over the years, you know, there was, we came up with this express read and it evolved very, very fast. You know, Adam Scott, I believe it was, they first played around with this idea in December. And I remember getting an email from Mark who was about to land in KL. And we had all these classes booked with these charts and he said, we're not doing the chart. And I'm like, what do you mean we're not doing the chart? You know? So, so that was the first time that was in December and in, April the next year, Adam Scott used that in the US Masters and it just went absolutely crazy for, you know, it felt like about three years that all we were doing was Aimpoint Express classes. 
all over That's Asia. Cool. <laughs> That's cool. And again, it just shows how quickly things can evolve. And that um, arguably just made aim point, as you said, it just brought it out to the front of everybody because they could see it, how how these people were doing stuff. Because if people were clicking through the actual uh, aim point books, players would just assume that they're just doing what they would do out on the fairway. But having holding up the hands like that, it's like this is something different. What's he doing? So you can certainly improve it. There's there's very few innovators, I guess, in golf. I mean, there's very few. Mark is definitely one of them. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's a pretty cool guy and he's very smart. I mean, a very, very smart guy, yeah. The, the, the back end of his stuff is, I mean, it, it would blow you and me away. <laughs> just, to, just to come up with that chart, that must have taken him so much time and so much study and so much hitting putts and rolling balls on greens to find out what that, how that chart actually works. That's, um, well, it's pretty it's all, cool. Well, that's the thing. It's all math. You know, it's all a calculated math based on, you know, a planar green and – you know, I don't, I, I can't go into all that stuff, but it's, you know, thousands and thousands of lines of algorithms and, you know, out pops the chart. So, yeah, there's definitely science behind it. Um, a lot of math and a lot of science. And um, I think the, uh, the, the the coaches have helped to develop into something that's actually teachable. Yeah. Because cool. he's, he's, he's not a coach. Now, one thing that is, um, I've always admired about you as a coach is your, thirst to understand and learn new things so um, every time I speak to you or see you you've you've spent time with coaches you've spent time with other people from other other areas and you're always picking up brand new can you talk through some of the people you spent time with over the years apart from those guys early on that you were that you would yeah so after you've after you've um you've got your your basic understanding um mm. who are some of the guys you spent with you spent time with that have involved your coaching yeah, so from a, a short game standpoint or even putting, obviously Mark and Jamie were huge influences for, for Aimpoint. I mentioned Jamie Donaldson. He's the head guy in Europe um, and really a, you know, just an amazing coach and he's a, a great putting coach. So um, so Phil, Phil Kenyon, who you obviously would have heard of, um, he, he was coming out to Thailand um, six, seven years ago and, and he'd run his, uh, his program there and uh, – I, I kind of sucked as a putting coach, no, no doubt. I, I knew Aimpoint, but I didn't know a lot of the other stuff. So it, it was great learning from Phil. Uh, we brought him over to Australia. I think you might remember that a few years back as well. So I was able to travel with him there. And, um, I mean, he was just great. He's just a, a, a you know, his, his depth of knowledge in that part because he's purely a putting coach is, is kind of second to none. So he's been a great resource. Um you know, I guess, I guess over the years as well, you know, I've invited a lot of coaches over to Asia. I've, I've run some small seminars. Um, you know, I've invited Dr. Kwan over um, to Asia, which was, which was pretty, pretty tough. You know, his stuff runs pretty deep. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, I kind of I use his stuff in that, in that respect. I wouldn't say his information is overly usable. It just gives you more of an understanding of, of certain things. Um, you know, I invited Andy Plummer. Um, who's uh, founder of the Stack and Tilt, an amazing, you know, smart guy who's uh, extremely generous with his time and his knowledge, and learned, you know, learned so much from him. You know, it's, you know, when I when I talk about Andy and 
and you know what he uh, what he presents and what he offers i think for certainly for myself and a lot of other coaches they they help to fit a lot of the stuff that we've learned over the years into um into kind of very usable information um you know i'd gathered up all this stuff over the years from different pros and some of those ones i'd mentioned over the years but it was all it was all kind of just stuff that was you know that i'd heard okay well we turn this way and the wrist when the wrist do this or the wrist cock or the wrist but when you when you kind of go through that process you learn a lot more about um you know how the body moves in three dimensions you learn more specifically about um you know how wrists and whatnot and, and anyone that's done you know any morad training um which is really where andy's background came from which is the mac o'grady stuff um would appreciate as well you know what i'm, what I'm talking about so it just helps a lot of this information that we hear over the years kind of fit you know how does that fit how do you how can you use that part with a student or not use that part so that's what it really helped me to do it helped me to organize my thoughts a lot more with my lesson um you know it gave me a little bit of a system around how i would uh, handle a student um you know if they're having issues with uh you know with contact or distance or direction control and um, so he's definitely been an influence and, and some of the uh, coaches around him uh, Andreas Carly, who's become a very good friend of mine, um, you know, I use as a, as a sounding board and uh, and find him very helpful as as well. But you know, there's, there's so many great coaches, um, knowledgeable coaches, which which we see online now. You know, whether you're looking at a Scott Cox or um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of slip his name, um, you know, or it's or it's Dana. Uh, Radar. I, f- I forgot his, uh, his his first name here. Uh, I think it's Radar Pro. Do, do you know his? Yeah, uh, Dana Jeff, 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 uh, Jeff Smith. Oh, yeah, Jeff Smith. Jeff. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Jeff Smith. Um, you know, George Gankus, you know, it's hard not to see what he does and at least, you know, appreciate it. So there's, there's so many knowledgeable coaches out there that we can kind of pick, you know, bits from uh, to help our students. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I've tried to do over the years, you know, just tried to understand. And, you know, some, sometimes if I get a student which has a problem in a particular area, you know, I'm able to kind of sift through and know exactly the direction I would head down to help them. And, and not just from a full swing standpoint as well. You know, I've been able to um, invite a James Seekman over um, to Asia a few years ago. I spent um, some time with James Ridyard in Orlando who's a short game coach, you've probably heard of him. So, yeah, short game's an area that I've, I've, I've really wanted to dive into over the years. It's, it's certainly an area you can help students, you know, fast track scoring. Uh, and I just tried to, you know, make myself as well, well-rounded as possible and, and try and seek out these guys who I feel are doing it, you know, maybe a little bit better, or at least they're putting themselves out there a little bit more than some other coaches to learn from. It, it seems like, Coaches these days are more, as you said, they've got more structure to their coaching. They've got more setups and plans and um, things in place to give them a, a guidelines for how they would coach certain players standing in front of them. And I think that's where I think coaching's improved. I think yeah. um, you don't have a system, so to speak, but you have you have a roadmap. You we would probably call it would probably be a good yeah. enough word that you've got you've got some some rough outline of where you would go with certain players based on the things that you're seeing in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. No, I would completely agree. 
Um, I mean, I, I would happily use the word system because I think if you look at a system, it's kind of broad in nature uh, and it can go very narrow. You know, uh, you know when, you, when you've got a beginner golfer standing in front of you, if you don't have a structure in your head about how you're going to help them, uh, it can be a really, really tough, tough road, um, especially when you're doing it online. Um, when you when you've got a tour pro in front of you that's had twenty years of experience, you you have to work more within their framework. But you still, I would still argue, you you have a system around. You know, if the ball's doing too much of this or not enough of that, you would still have a plan. You know, whether you want to call it a roadmap or a system about okay, if I move the ball position here, or if I adjust the club face here. Or if I make you know a small tweak to how their body moves, it should affect you know this. So that to me is still a system, but it's it's a much softer version for that particular player. Yeah, I would I would tend to be on the same page there. I think uh, if a coach cast classes himself that he doesn't have a system, he still has some sort of idea of how he's going to go about it. There is there is without a, a doubt. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think as as coaches, we've we've all got a system to some some degree so that's um that's really cool um okay so how did you end up where you are now so tell everyone out there where you're based at the moment yes i've been based out of malaysia and the capital city here is uh, kuala lumpur i'm sure everyone's heard of that um 10 years it's been or, or coming up to 10 years actually it's about nine years and um yeah i guess my decision was probably made when I you know, left the academy I mentioned I worked for in Australia and I'd been lucky enough to work with you know, different groups of Asian students over the years, Korea, uh, Malaysia, some from Thailand. And um, I thought, not that I thought, I'd, I'd kind of made a decision that, okay, that's where I want to have a go at, at teaching over there. I, I, I kind of feel like I'd exhausted everything in Australia from a coaching standpoint you know, I worked with some great players who I was still working with, some some amateurs that had turned pro, um, but I kind of felt like I was a bit stale there. And, um, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, so after, after spending time in Asia, because I spent some time in Taiwan mm-hmm. and China when I was, I was coaching, and um, the good part about that part of the world is everything's so close together. It's very easy to get to nearby Absolutely, countries, yeah. very short yeah. flights. You can jump on and you can spend some time doing um, coaching in other places, which I think you do really well. So yeah. how, again, is, did that play any sort of role in or any sort of in your choice of heading towards that space that you had access to more golfers? Not at all. My my thought process is I'm going to move to Malaysia and I'm going to work at the club, which I'm actually still at now, and I'm going to be there six days a week and I'm going to do eight hours a day. That's That was my initial goal, just to get busy in a place. I had no intention. I didn't even think about that I'm going to go to a different country and, and ever teach there. It just wasn't in my in my thought process. Um what was in my thought process to give it a red hot go in Malaysia and give myself two years to, to really put myself out there. What did help me was the fact that I was an Aimpoint instructor and, and I was blogging pretty heavily about Aimpoint in Australia and I kept blogging about it uh, along with other things. And, you know, I remember I had one email come across from a guy in Vietnam that said, oh, we heard you're an Aimpoint instructor. I want to invite you to teach uh, 10 of my of my friends. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. 
So I jumped on a plane, went over there with my charts, and, and away I went. It was a great experience. And then uh, Andrew Wellsford, you probably know, he was a national coach in Singapore, and I'm like, Gee, Singapore's like literally four-hour drive for me to get there. You know, it's a 45-minute plane flight. So I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I got in contact with Andrew somehow, or it might have even been Brad McManus at the time, um, who's, to, who's a good buddy of mine. I'm like, you know, I teach this thing called Aimpoint. Do you think I can come over and you know, maybe do some classes. And, and Andrew was like, yeah, come and teach like our national team. I'm like, perfect. And so I got on the forum there in Singapore, you know, and I said I'm an Aimpoint guy or I might have put one of my blogs up and, you know, I had like six people or something. So um, that was kind of the beginning of me traveling. It was actually more through Aimpoint. And, and because I, I mean, I, I could probably say I might have visited between that two years you know 10 different countries and and there were some coaches that were getting trained up so i you know flew to korea and trained up a coach so so that was kind of my early travel was actually through aimpoint which then turned into some short game schools which then turned into um doing some trips to india because i had some students come over from india had success with a a young amateur um, and people kind of started to travel to malaysia um, some Indian students, and that then allowed me to travel to India to start to work with some of them. So that that part kind of evolved as well. So, how many coach? How many countries do you actually travel to at the moment? How 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 many yeah. countries do you actually get to? I mean, it could be it could be ten. Yeah, yeah. I would say countries that I've. I've narrowed down now and I think I'm a lot more focused probably on just um, three. Um, if you include Malaysia, it would be India um, because I've now um, started an academy there. I've become a director of golf for an academy there, so I'll be doing more regular trips there. And probably Singapore would be the other one because it's so close. Um, but, yeah, I do do three or four to Thailand a year, same to China, um, you know, a couple to Indonesia, but a lot of those I'll, I'll cut back on now and just kind of narrow, narrow it down quite a bit, I would say. Um, you know, I'd go to South Korea a few times a year, but they're more, they're more just kind of get invited to go there for three, four days. So how do you structure the coaching over there? Do you, Obviously, you've got contacts in each country and you set up a time to go for a certain period of time and coach over there. Do you... Do you just charge a set fee up front or do you charge each individual client? How does it work? Yeah, pretty much I've got uh, contacts with, with different facilities in those different countries. Um, some some have got really good arrangements with, some would be sort of fairly standard arrangement where they take a percentage. And uh, because I've got enough students in those countries, I would just ahead of time say, you know, I'm coming over, this is my four-day window. Um, in India, it's normally much longer trips. It'll be kind of 10 days, and my students will just block out my hours, basically. So very rarely, you know, it, it's different when I go to China because I get invited over there um, by a friend of mine named Michael Dickey at his academy where he'll organize the golf schools. And, you know, I might do a day's training with his staff, and we just, you know, we come up with an arrangement there on fees. Um, but generally, it's me organizing everything myself. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Um, how do you set your coaching up where you are at the moment? You, you are like a private golf coaching session where they pay per hour. Do you set up coaching programs? How do you set your coaching up at the moment? 
It's it's pretty standard. I mean, it's mostly by hour to two hour blocks that most students would book me in. Um, I have a practice group um, that I'm running as well for a group of elite players. So I do that twice a week uh, in Malaysia. That's probably the only group stuff that I do. Uh, most of it is kind of one-to-one. Yeah, so it's pretty standard. So you, you charge them per hour? You don't charge I like do. a subscription? There's there's a few coaches going towards that subscription-based yeah. idea of coaching. I haven't purely because of how much travel I've done in the past and it just, you know, because I'm not at one facility or I haven't been at one facility, it hasn't it hadn't made sense for me to do that. You know, charging a monthly subscription and then saying I'm going away for two weeks is not not, not a thing I think people would buy into. That doesn't uh, go down so well, no. <laughs> no. So, yeah, my model is is a fairly old traditional like per hour model. I can kind of come and go as I please. Um you know, I, I can do my online stuff and uh, students still get to see me. And it's been good the last, you know, few months. And, and we're not be, we're not going to be able to travel here in Malaysia until next year anyway. So it allows me to kind of really settle in there and, and maybe even run a few programs um, with some of my better players, which I normally wouldn't do just because, I'm, you know, I, I haven't got the time because I'm, if, if I'm traveling, for example. Yeah, COVID certainly has um, thrown a spanner in the works. I can't see us getting on planes anytime, anytime <laughs> no. soon. I think we're looking uh, at least until halfway through next year before we start to get anywhere mm. back to normal. It's um, it's um, crazy times. We're in stage four here at the moment in Victoria, so we can't go out of the house for any more than an hour a day. So we're yeah, crazy. Um, we're doing it pretty tough, but um, that kind of moves me into remote coaching because you do that yeah. really well and um, you see your stuff that you put online about coaching online and I think it's something you've done and set up really, really well. So talk me through, A, how you got into that space and, B, how you've improved it and um, expanded it in these weird times we're in at the moment. Yeah, so getting into it was really just a demand thing. You know, I'd had enough uh DMs uh, through my Instagram of people asking me and I decided I shouldn't reject them anymore. (laughs) Uh, You know, probably for six or eight months I said, I don't do it, I don't do it. Um, And then, uh, you know, Baden from Skillers had reached out to me and he said, I've got this platform, get on. And I'm like, no, I don't do that. There's no value in it. And uh, so I also rejected him for about six months. And then he finally, you know, I, I finally decided to get on and, uh, and started that process, you know, that could, could be three-plus years ago now, I can't remember. Um, but, um, you know, I, I probably like a lot of pros, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really know. I didn't really feel there was a benefit, you know, when – and you can appreciate this, and I'm sure a lot of the coaches listening, when you're so busy and you're already doing, you know, your 40-plus hours a week teaching, you know, charging someone $50 or $30 – and, you know, spending that amount, I just didn't really see any value in it for me or them. I didn't really see how they could learn. So, but, you know, I, I did start in that platform and I think I started, you know, like a lot of coaches, I had a formula, okay, I'd analyze, you know, their swing. I'd give them a couple of points to focus on, you know, in a, in a, in a separate tutorial. So that's basically what, what I would get. And that that's pretty much what I did. Things definitely changed with COVID. You know, I was doing a small amount of online coaching um, before that. It was maybe like 10% of my business, you know, not just, but just a nice amount. Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's nice. You know, every month there's, you know, there's, there's some extra money coming in if you like. Um, 
so yeah, when COVID kicked in, it really made me rethink everything. Like I think it did with a lot of, of coaches and, um, I would say not, not straight away, but it definitely got more socially accepted or it has been more socially accepted during this time for people to learn remotely. So, and, uh, you know, like yourself during this time, it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm what, what do I do? So I, you know, I watched, I looked at a couple of guys who I thought were doing it really well and took some of, of what they were doing and mapped it out onto my website. That's the first thing I did. So I, I, I quickly, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the main page of my website, make sure that it was very prominent that I offered remote coaching and, uh, you know, just structured a little bit of a model around that. Um, I then started, I, I did a little bit of soft promotion on, on my Instagram and, and sort of through my social media channels and, and email marketing. And I had, you know, a number of students come on board for that. The, the, the slight benefit for me is because I do have so many international students, I was able to offer them, you know, a monthly plan. And, and quite a, a few of them took that up when they were able to hit balls, you know, where they come out of kind of their lockdown. So, you know, a lot of my students are already my students remotely. And the rest have just come through, you know, the, the promotion and, and I think just general interest for remote coaching and the fact that um, I guess I put myself out there enough that people are aware of what I do and, and maybe want to try me out. But the biggest evolution for me is 95% of my students now do a monthly or a quarterly plan. There's almost no one-to-one lessons. And I try and service that by giving them above and beyond what they would get in a normal lesson, which means, you know, additional videos on core strategy, very regular feedback, um, two to three times a week, they can get feedback from me. And um, I'd say kind of very, everything's very personalized what I do. So all my videos are personalized. I rarely repurpose a video for them. I would always get in front of my, my sort of home studio here that I've, I've put together and, you know, just do a five-minute video and say we need to clean this up or please work a little bit more on this or it might be an audio note or a Zoom call. So, yeah, I've, I've tried to structure it so they, they they get a sense that they're getting more than they might even get in an hour lesson uh, and they have – for some students it's been very helpful because they get a lot more, they get a lot more regular contact with me uh, even more so than they might be able to if if they're seeing me face to face and I'm travelling. I think that's that's so true, and it's it, it's changed over time because I'm certainly in your camp early on. This mm. I don't see the value for a student in getting a ten minute online golf lesson. Um, yeah. How can we tell that they're doing it properly? How can we tell that they're actually um, understanding what what we're sending across to them? Um, I'd probably tie it into coaching indoors. Like I wouldn't dream 10, right. even 10 years ago of ever coaching indoors. I thought, no, you have to yeah. see ball fight. You have to be able to be outside and see where the ball's going. But with the invent of obviously TrackMan and Foresight and FlightScope and these type of tools, we can coach indoors now and get and get ball flight. And yeah. the that, that coaching tech is improving all the time. So I think online coaching is certainly taking that change as well, I think. So no, very cool. One, I mean, just, just a quick story. I know you want to ask me a few other questions, but a quick story. I So I was working with a student of mine from Indonesia. He used to travel to Singapore because it was very close. And, um, you know, when he first started, he's probably shooting around 95 to 100. Um, you know, someone who's who's got 
some good speed there and a young guy, but just very, you know, unstructured in, in how he moves and, you know, doesn't really understand the game so well from a short game strategy standpoint. So, you know, he used to, every time I was in Singapore, you know, he'd often, he'd often come down and that might be like six times a year, for example. And we did some good work and he, you know, was slowly improving. You know, he he'd got down to scoring around 90 and he said, I, you know, he called out to me, maybe in the second month of COVID, and he said, hey, coach, you know, what, what's the deal with the online? I said, well, this is how it works. You know, we do a monthly plan. So we did that, and it went pretty well. And, you know, we did mainly sort of swing stuff. We touched on some short game, and, you know, he, he was, he'd improved. Uh, he'd certainly improved his ball striking, but, you know, his, his scores were kind of around there, around the same. And it was nearing to the end of the month, and he said, um, you know, it's been good. Is there anything else that you think we can work on? You know, I, I, I'm probably not going to continue. And I said, well, you know, there's, there's some different things that we could do on short game and, and we could go through some core strategy videos, et cetera. And he said, okay, let's do three months. So I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. And I was one of the first students that had done three months. I'm like, oh, this is great. So, you know, I'd, I'd put together a bunch of core strategy videos. And at that time, I'd really started refining what I was doing. So I've got evaluation sheets for putting. I've got evaluation sheets for short game. I've got these core strategy videos where they have to watch them and send me back notes. And so we did this for about two or three weeks. And, you know, he broke 80 for the first time. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And then about, you know, a week later, he shoots 77. And about a week after, a week later after that, he, he shoots par. Wow. And, and literally we hadn't done anything else. You know, we'd just gone through core strategy. And, you know, we've done some short game evaluations with him. Every time he, fin- he uses an app called Grint where he fills in his, his stats, which would be like golf shot or whatnot, and he'd be sending me, um, you know, after he finished every round, he had to do uh, a little uh, reflection, you know, what are the things he did well. You know, so we just kind of got him to the habit of, of creating some awareness. And so these are some of the things that, you know, I've evolved and, I really don't think that if he was seeing me in person for, you know, once every two months, he would be at the level that he is right now. And he regularly breaks 80, you know, he still shoots an 88, um, but he's probably got his scoring average around the low 80s now. But, you know, if he plays five rounds, he'd probably break 82 times, you know, he's still a little bit inconsistent. So that's been a really interesting progression, uh, you know, in one particular case, uh, working with him remotely. And we're about two months into his three months. That's that's really cool. Do you think if that person was in front of you face to face, they would want to work solely on technique as opposed yes. to that yeah. core strategy type stuff that you had to go down because you couldn't do the technique stuff? Yeah, well we I mean we did go on golf course with him. I remember going on the golf course with him in Singapore, but you just can't quite get as much done. Do you know what I mean? Like you still can't get everything you want done, whereas he can watch a video you know, three or four times really understand it versus, you know, that time on the golf course. I mean, reality is if you spend two hours with them on the golf course, you're probably only giving them 20 minutes of, you know, you know, information that they can take away, whereas they can watch a video series and chip away at those over a bit a little bit longer period of time. I I, I think that's cool. And I think a great um great strategy for say even a coach in Australia someone just starting out to to do like a seminar series at their club get in front of the the golfers and put them on in the clubhouse and say I'm going to talk to you for 
um, every week for a half hour or 45 minutes and we're going to talk about core strategy and then you can go and uh, apply that in your game. And if the average golfer can't take half a dozen shots off the round just by playing smarter, um, I'll I'll, I'll go jump. So that's really cool. Absolutely, yeah. Now, on the online coaching space, there's a certain student of yours that has been popping up um, in your Instagram feed and that has um, made some pretty significant changes over a very short period of time. Um, mm. I'm hearing comments about, is this fair income or not? Is this real? Um, talk me through what she's done and how you came about starting to work with her. Yeah, so it, it kind of came about really through... Actually, just yeah. tell them who she is first before we get too, too much yeah. detail. So, so Mia Baker, who you're referring to, um, is a young lady from England in her mid-20s, very savvy businesswoman, very busy, busy lady, and, and just started golf kind of late last year. Um, I got introduced for her effectively through Baden from Skillers, who said, you know, there's this young girl, she seemed very, like, passionate, and let's, uh, you know, let's go on a bit of a social experiment with her and just work with her remotely and see if we can't help her with her game. And, and there was a number of coaches I think he was looking at and ultimately, you know, he, he went with me to, to kind of help her. So, so that's been happening. Uh, we did three pretty aggressive months, I would say, because it was during lockdown. There was certainly a lot more time. The last month and a half, you know, it's been a little bit softer. She's moved, she started playing golf and it's been a little bit harder. But um, yeah, but the first... So her, her background, she started golf um, in November, a raw beginner. She'd done maybe one lesson um, and she just kind of practiced a little bit on her own with her kind of boyfriend. And, and we started in sort of late March. And, and to give you context, um, and I know some people, you know, is it real or whatever, about a month or so after working with her, she was still missing the ball. So you, we, we spoke off air about, yeah, sometimes you post all the good bits and everything seems seems nice. But, yeah, she was, you know, she I remember she sent me some videos and she was missing the ball. Um, not No big deal for me because the movement was what I wanted. She didn't have the awareness of where the ball is. And I also posted, you know, something just a few weeks ago of, of a driver session we had where, you know, for the first 30 minutes, she literally couldn't get the driver off the ground. I mean, the best the best was she was hitting like the the bottom edge, you know, or the toe and, and all sort of crazy stuff. So she's definitely a beginner. She's uh, She has an ability to frustratingly change her pattern when you think that you've got them, which is very typical of a beginner, right? So I'm very cautious now with what information I give her because she is starting to stabilise. Um, but the process is, you know, it's been a learning process for me as well, but one which I like to follow with beginners, which is, you know, teaching them basic hand arm coordination exercises until I feel that they they really can nail it down teaching them you know basic body motion exercises where they have to complete at home in a dry drill and the benefit and I feel like the reason why she's able to progress one she's able to pick up on what I say fairly easily um although the frustrations are still there um the uh, iterations that we have three to four times per week or sometimes even five times per week when we first started meant that she wasn't really doing anything that got too far out of control, you know, out of, you know, out of what I thought would be normal. Whereas, you know, normal beginner lesson, okay, we work with them for one hour, we see them in two weeks or in one week or sometimes in a month and there's zero progress because they've forgotten everything perhaps. Um, 
So from that standpoint, I've, I've kept a very close eye on her progress. And I think that's been the main reason why we've been able to you know, keep some structure around what she does and make a fairly significant change. Um, but yeah, it's all for real. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, that's good. And and it's it, it's still it's still a struggle from both ends for sure. And you know she's she's only four and a half months in, so I think she'll be a good little golfer. You know, you know, coming into six months, one year, two years, it'd be interesting to see her progress. Yeah, I, I certainly think you're right. She's got some she's got some talent there. She can certainly um, swing that club quite well early on. So yeah, you you're doing some good things with her. Absolutely, yeah. Mate, I've kept you way too long this morning. Um, I certainly appreciate you coming in and talking to me. Um, as always, I could talk to you for hours. Um, I certainly oh, love man. picking your brain um, and going through your ideas. It gets me excited to coach. It gets me excited to get out there again. But there's there's a few questions I'd like to ask everybody that comes on the yeah. podcast. So just like to get get those to you. So what um, tips and advice do you have for coaches starting out in our industry? Um, tips. My my brain really just goes to the the upskilling, which I think is like super important at at any level, and that's really the main advice I would give like a new coach. You know, keep upskilling. Um, don't be afraid to seek out coaches that are at a higher level than you and just sit on a deck chair and watch them teach. I, I still feel for me personally that's the best way I learn. If you can get a, a mentor and if you're able to kind of watch other coaches do their thing, I, I think that's the fastest way to improve your skills. It's, um, it's certainly heaps easier to do these days as well. You, you don't need to spend five grand on a flight to go to the US to spend time with coaches. You can access their information pretty easily these days through social media. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool. So any tips uh, for the golfers out there? Hopefully there's a few golfers paying attention or a few players out there paying attention to this podcast. So any advice for them? Yeah, seek out, seek out the coach that you have trust in or a coach that you have trust in. And figure out the one or two key areas that are going to help you to grow and improve. Um, I think just so many golfers head down the wrong pathway of what they think they need. And I'm not even talking about like full swing here. You know, it could be it could be an improvement in how they manage themselves on the course. It could be an improvement in how they think. You know, it could be Vision 54. It could be you know a, a short game area that they really struggle with from 10 to, to 30 yards it keeps holding them back but it's often very hard for them to figure that out on their own um, so I'd say try and seek out that that you know that exact advice if you if you like from a, a knowledgeable coach extremely important to have that trust I think in that person that you're taking that advice from so yeah. having that that connection with the person I think it's extremely important um, You've obviously had a very varied career and you've um, shifted around and moved to different places and done all sorts of exciting things. Is there yeah. anything that you would change in your career that you would do differently if you had your time over again? Jeez, that's a great question. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I know I would. I know I would. There's just yeah. things that I would change as a coach. So is there anything that you would change? I mean, if there's only if there's one thing, I would I would probably tell myself to to do things earlier, you know, because I 
because, and this is maybe just me personally, you know, sometimes you, you think, okay, I want to do that. And then you, you don't do it straight away. You know, it takes you six months or you end up doing it like two years later. And, uh, you know, I feel like I have done a lot of things over the years, but I would just tell myself to do it now. Like if I have a thought, do it now. Like you're doing a podcast, you might have thought about this for like two years ago, but you should have done it two years ago. Like that would be my advice. Yeah, completely agree. That's do a, not wait. There's a great quote up there saying, start before you're ready. And I think that is um, Love it. important. Just just get it going and you'll screw it up to start with. And I'm sure yeah. in 12 months' time, I'll go back to those first couple of podcast episodes and say, how crap is that audio? Or how bad is right. this? Or how bad was that question? And um, just get started. Awesome advice. Yeah. Um, okay, so you can answer this both ways or one way or uh, in five years' time, where do you see yourself and where do you see the golf industry in five years' time? Oh, that's a good question as well. Um, I mean, golf industry is tough because I think that's largely to do with like the demographic that you're in, et cetera. But um, I, I see myself in Asia still for sure. Um, you know, perhaps I've got um, something that's more personalized um, within myself. Um, as in, like, you know, having my own, my own brand, my own um, setup for sure. I see that as a progression. I think the golf industry is going to continue to grow. I think the the speed evolution is is real. I think remote coaching is very real. Um, you know, I think that space it's just going to be so interesting when we get cleaner technology to do remote coaching. I think that can keep evolving, and I think there's going to be a lot more coaches that have their home studios and can do really cool stuff um, remotely, without a doubt. Um, but yeah, those, those are a couple of things I would, I would, I think are going to be happening. That's really cool, Steve. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you online if they're after getting in contact with you? So my website is just sggc.com.au, um, and Instagram is probably the the, the one that I get um, you know got, get DM the most. So it's just the same. It's just SG Golf Coaching on my name, Stephen Giuliano. Uh, which is a bit tricky to spell, but figure yeah, it out. No. I will <laughs> certainly put um, put them in the into the, the show details so people can get in touch with you if they need to, and certainly encourage you. You're a good follow on social media. There's plenty of good content out there. So, yeah. again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll definitely catch up soon. Pleasure, bud. And shameless plug: I've got some, hopefully uh, in the not too distant future, some some more interesting content for students and coaches. Um, that they can kind of learn a little bit more about what I do, some education stuff. So, yeah, working hard to get some of that together as well. Awesome. So hopefully once you've got that up and going, we can get you on the show again. We can talk through that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, mate. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Have a good one.